1: Dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space, CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by StrainWise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals.
0: Now, let's delve into some Blunt Business with your host. Welcome to Blunt Business, presented by StrainWise Consulting. Today, we are happy to speak with the first... African American woman to own a marijuana dispensary in the state of Colorado. We're talking with cannabis activist and entrepreneur Wanda James. She was named one of the most, one of the 100 most influential people in cannabis by High Times Magazine this year in 2018, one of the 2016 cannabis business executive, 50 most important women in the cannabis industry, and she has also earned herself a Lifetime Achievement Award at the 2017 Cannabis Business Awards for her role in the commercial rise of the plant. With all said and done, let's welcome Wanda James to Blunt Business.
2: Wow. Well, thank you.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, much like my questions are loaded, my intros are very loaded as well. Wanda is so really happy to have you on. I know we have a lot to discuss here, and, you know, we're looking forward to a great conversation. Let me get started with this. First of all, you're already a busy woman in general, a busy entrepreneur. You juggle three cannabis businesses. I see here the Simply Pure Medical. A recreational dispensary in Denver, Colorado. You have a cooking school and a catering business, and the Cannabis Global Initiative, which is also labeled or, or LCGI, a consulting firm that specializes in everything cannabis. Talk to me about how you're able to stay as hands-on as you do with all these businesses.
2: Well, we've actually cut down the businesses a little bit. So the cooking school, I mean, it's, that's more of Scott. So as you guys know, okay. my husband Scott raw cannabis chef. So he actually does more long private classes and, and private events at this point. So the cooking school isn't really a, a thing. And then we did sell the restaurant um, about two years ago because quite frankly, you know, if you're going to be a cannabis entrepreneur, this requires heart and soul. I mean, this isn't a part-time gig. This isn't something you get the, you know, opportunity to stop in on a, you know, weekly basis to make sure everything is running okay and by the regulations. I mean, this industry is no joke.
0: Now, you mentioned your husband, Scott, who is a former Navy lieutenant. uh, You you were a former Navy lieutenant, and your husband Scott was a retired Marine. Let's get those correct here. Thank you both for your service, by the way. (laughs) I must say that uh, first and foremost. Now, talk to me about how both collectively your military experiences influence your work and the teams that you work with.
2: So, you know, oftentimes, and it it depends on the the people that we're working with, but I have often said that the military has been how I have um, led my, you know, my personal career. And I mean, and even throughout going throughout, you know, corporate America, I mean, the things that you learn in corporate and that you learn in the military as far as leadership, developing teams, um, clear uh, line of communication. Uh, and everybody being on message, I think, are some of the most important things that you can do in a company. Now, some people don't like that type of structure, and I thoroughly understand it. But once again, you know, I come back to this is the most highly one of the most highly regulated industries that you can be a part of. So anybody that thinks that you're going to you know pop into work every now and then, and you know everything is going to be running the way that the laws require, that the regulations require, that the federal government requires. I mean, it's just you're really kidding yourself if you think you can do it another way.
0: And the thing, too, I imagine is there's a real discipline behind what you do, at least for yourself and what Scott does, and then how it might portray and how it might reflect upon those that work with you. I can only imagine how that comes about.
2: (laughs) You know what? Like I said, it's, I mean, we're a family. And I think first and foremost that we, you know, try to, Um, convey that all of the people that work with us, I mean, you know, we're there for each other. You know, it really is a, a, it's a tight-knit group. And I think that the folks that work for us enjoy having the moniker of being, you know, budologists or, you know, winning awards for the best flavor profile in Colorado when you're cannabis. I mean, you know, like Vince Lombardi said, you know, winning is a habit, so is losing. So, I don't know, when I look at great leaders and, and great leadership, it's those people that give people permission to excel, and you know they come together and they excel because I believe that human nature wants to exceed.
0: Now, when we normally see military personnel or veteran military personnel in the cannabis industry, it's usually patients that are coming back that are, you know, they've gone through different areas of when it comes to combat and what has happened to them as a result, and how does that play, I guess, in terms of the that you're basically shattering the stigma where it's like, no, no, that's not what I'm here for. I'm an entrepreneur. I came from the military background, but I'm here and I'm fully fully encompassed in the industry. And I'm also a person of color, more importantly.
2: Well, person of color. uh, My husband is a patient. Um, We started there like everybody else in Colorado. Uh, Our first and and largest piece that we'd like to bring to the industry is the fact that we have been standing up for social justice from the very beginning. Social justice for us is what has been the driving factor and that driving factor has led us to care for, for patients. Um, in 2010, um, Scott and I called for, uh, the scheduling of uh, PTSD on the list of, um, medical conditions that would allow somebody to get a medical license. I mean that's always been at the forefront of what we do. Now I would be disingenuous if I said I didn't believe that this was going to be a good industry, but let's be clear as long as 280E is part of what we do in this industry, it is not a good business. And for those that don't understand 280E it's simple. It basically provides the opportunity for the federal government to tax you out of all of your profits um, and the law came about in the 1980s to stop all of the cocaine, be- or cocaine right. money being put into the banking system in, in, in you know, South Florida. So we're still under those laws. So we're all hopeful that in the next few years that it will be a good business, but up until now it's been about social justice it's been about patience it's been about our military members
0: very well said and i'll tell you that uh some of the conferences have gone through this year the one that uh i work with uh, with cannabis radio and we host the united states cannabis conference and expo that's a regular panel discussion it's talking about 280 in general so yep. the, the conversation <laughs> must continue yeah. now we are yep. recording today as the midterm elections are being voted on by everybody in america hundreds of millions of people voting today and you said recently in an article, "quote My va- brand is really political. If I had to say what I do, I would say I'm a politician." Now, you did make a jump to run for political office at one time yourself, and you fundraised and you've managed multiple cam- political campaigns yourself. So you're very well entrenched. You totally understand the system here. You would totally understand what's going on today and the impl- implications and the impact of what happens today. Now. How has the political establishment responded to you when it comes to the push of adult use legalization in the, in the United States? And how far do we, uh, away do you think we are from federal legalization, much like Canada is now?
2: So here's the first thing that everybody needs to understand about every politician in America, every single one of them. They all have one goal, just <laughs> one, and that's to get elected or reelected. That's it. <laughs> True. And once, no, seriously, I I mean, in all seriousness, that is the only goal of every politician. So once you start from that point, then you can start to figure out how you get them on your side or how you work against them or what they're going to use and which polling data and which ideology they're going to use to get to their number one objective. Right. So your first question is how they responded to me. Um, Overwhelmingly positive. I'm going to say, you know, I have never had a negative conversation about cannabis. Um, Even those that aren't pro-cannabis, when they're speaking to me, they find ways of (laughs) amplifying the small parts that they are pro-cannabis, you know, such as the oh, you know, I don't know about, you know, everybody running around being stoned all the time, but as long as it's saving babies, you know, I'm okay with it, you know. Um, And if that's where we have to start, so be it. But at this point in the game, 75% of Americans want full-on legalization. 53% of Republicans want full-on legalization. 88% of Americans want full-on legalization for medical purposes. It doesn't get statistically better than that in America, given the fact that the president has less than a 40% approval rating. So more people in America by leaps and bounds, by double the amount, are in favor of marijuana legalization than they are of the president. So this is an amazing place that we're at. And the sad part to all of this is, it's the politicians that are preventing this from happening because they are basing their views On a hundred years of negative marketing behind marijuana, the people in America are clear where they are with cannabis, very clear where they are with cannabis.
0: Very much. And I do believe it's it's like you quoted from those stats, it is quite a bipartisan issue. And I know on both sides, yeah, Yeah. there are congressional leaders that are looking to push across. And, you know, I, I still see, you know, but again, it's one of those things where. I think it just gets pushed on from administration to administration. When is somebody going to go ahead and finally pull, you know, go ahead and put themselves out on the on a limb and say okay, pull their, put their neck out and say finally okay, we're going to do this because the people have spoken. And uh, again, I could go on for hours and days and weeks about the stigma that's being portrayed to the media and how it's being how some people might speak about it and they're not professionally well spoken about it and are not ready to go and speak in front of a some kind of a cable news show or any kind of a reporter putting a microphone in front of them, where we need the right people that are well-spoken that can you can push back on any of the stigma that's been put out there before, because this is a different environment, and that's what's got to be said about that. That's my bully pulpit every time I get on this show. Now, let me move on to the Colorado cannabis industry, where you are based. Now, and so far, of course, we've been here on Cannabis Radio since the legalization was rolled out. 40,000, over 40,000 employees right now in Colorado. It has brought in $775 million in taxable income since adult use was instated. So talk to me about how adult use legalization has rolled out and point out what do you think has been done right in Colorado in your opinion?
2: So when you start talking about ending the stigma, those numbers right there are stigma ending (laughs) activities. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, 40,000 jobs. 40,000 jobs, and a lot of those jobs are high-paying jobs, $770,000 or
0: $750
2: million million in tax revenue to the state of Colorado, over $2 billion in sales. So that's how we end the stigma. And that's the reason why a lot of politicians, and those are the numbers that are giving a lot of politicians um, cover to get to their first objective, right? So once again, first objective, get elected. So if I can come into a state and show how I'm going to employ 40,000 people in skilled jobs, how I'm going to bring taxable income to states that may not see that type of income in any industry in the state, um, all of a sudden I become highly electable or highly reelectable. I also believe that right after the midterms, we're going to see big changes um, to the cannabis industry, how politicians look at the cannabis industry on the federal level because of two things, Canada and California. Those two places right there are going to change the, um, the way that we do business here in America,
0: because they have to. And I'll tell you, so, we're we're definitely following Canada, California, and all the regulations that are going yep. on. And just there's a lot yep. of obstacles being put in that are government place and oh, law enforcement place, and those things need to be uh, overcome. So, forgive me, I want to go ahead and get us to a commercial break. We're running a little behind. Sure. We're here again with uh, cannabis activist and entrepreneur Wanda James. And Wanda, after we come back from the break. You have spoken on a number of issues in a lot of different interviews, and I'm going to come to you with those when it comes to cannabis decriminalization, prison reform, social equity, and a lot of other things coming up. We're going to talk about that on the other side, here on Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. It's your body. It's your choice. Get relief from inflammation, anxiety, and stress. Go to www.bluemoonhemp.com and use code HEMP420 for a 20% discount on your order. Balance your body. Balance your life. Make it Blue Moon CBD.
2: The business of cannabis should
0: be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana llama out. Got to tend to me on crap channel. You know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. I hope you didn't forget about us, because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back with Wanda James here on Blund Business. Of course, we talked about how she works. uh, The Simply Pure Medical and Recreational Dispensary in Denver, Colorado, and also manages the Cannabis Global Initiative, a consulting firm that specializes in everything cannabis. Now, we're back, and I got some questions. Like I said, I want to reach out to you about some of the things you have said in recent interviews. First, let's talk about... Uh, this. Now many cannapreneurs that I've interviewed on this program, or in other programs, or on uh, conferences, have interviewed, have each come into this cannabis space with a personal reason. When I was researching for this interview, you told me about your husband and going through some of the things that he did. I also read your comments about cannabis decriminalization and prison reform. Now you said in a story that's been public that your younger brother was 17 at the time he was arrested for possession of four ounces of cannabis and was sentenced to 10 years hard labor in a Texas federal penitentiary. Uh, what a state they're going to be in for that. Now, you have previously said in a 2016 interview, and I quote, it is time to get real about cannabis. Colorado has already done that. You can't talk about racism in America without talking about the war on drugs. It is time for a change. So, is there, has there been any progress you can report on? Based on what you've said there in the last couple of years, do you see any progress going forward that's been uh, progressing?
2: So the one thing that upsets me the most about politicians that don't talk about um, what cannabis does, this is the number one thing that legalization does for us, is it allows us to stop arresting and harassing communities of color. And we see it every time there is a police killing. Um, In the the police killing in Dallas, where the cop walked into the wrong apartment and killed a black man, two days later, we find out that a search of the black man's apartment, he had cannabis in his apartment. What does that have to do with the man getting shot in his own apartment? So the way that we once again, all this keeps going back to stigma, right? But once we stop the stigma of cannabis, we can start to slow down the stigma of racism. We can start to take away some of the power of corrupt law enforcement to um, harass these communities. That to me is the most important thing we can do. And yes, it's getting better, but I'm pretty sure that last night in Alabama, some black kid was arrested on the street for selling a dime bag.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, it is an onion. There's just so many layers of different types of stigma that are there that have just been created and molded over decades of just misinformation and bias, and it's just been—it's so wrong. And you know, for me, you know, I guess it's kind of a libertarian me where there's just certain vices that just do not need to be. We don't need. Leave me alone. Right. If you, if everyone has to have their own vice, please, by all means, do what you want to do. But, but the thing is,
2: for but let's the- understand though, it's not about that, though, okay. right? They don't care, and I don't know who they is—the man or whoever, law enforcement or or people that make the laws. They don't care about the fact that anybody smokes a joint, and the reason for that is, is because we've been smoking joints in America's you know highest and best learning institutions—Harvard, the to MIT, the to University of Colorado—to. You know, University of Phoenix. Our best and brightest have always smoked cannabis in college. We know that it's not harmful. The biggest issue with cannabis is how much money is made off of prohibition. The entire privatized prison system is based on mass incarceration, on the fact that states guarantee how many people they're going to put into jail, and the prison systems can guarantee to Fortune 100 companies that they can provide slave labor for less than $2 an hour. That's what all of this is about. And it's a very clean-cut story and a, and a web that's woven. It takes 30 seconds to see it. The ACLU has talked about it. The NAACP has talked about it. I believe every TV news show has done a show about it. It's just not a secret. It's about how much money is made off of cannabis prohibition.
0: Now, you also said in a recent interview the following – as of today, Colorado does not have a social equity program. Colorado cannot or will not tell you how many Black, or Latino, or women-owned cannabis businesses are licensed in the state. They can tell you how many construction companies are owned by Blacks, Latinos, and women, but not cannabis companies. In comparison, Massachusetts, California, and many of the states legalizing in the upcoming elections, or in the elections today, have included language that allows for social equity, no penalty for having a drug felony, and even the possibility of a business loan program. Now, say Colorado, were to follow the example set by Massachusetts and California, how much would those ballot measures help balance the pendulum of social equity, and what more would you like to see done?
2: So Colorado is interesting for twofold. One, we don't have a large minority population. However, like I said before, before legalization, 34% of the rest in Colorado were people, were blacks in, in Denver, which is a ridiculous number. Right. So, yeah. And I have a lot of people asking me, how do I get involved in the industry? I mean, I've got to say, the reason that we were involved in the industry was because in 2009, I had, you know, a U.S. congressman and a couple of senators on speed dial. So we weren't fearful. And unfortunately the the communities of color are fearful of getting in and they were fearful of getting in in 2009. In 2009 it may have cost me $250,000 to open a dispensary or less, right? Wow. <laughs> Fast forward to 2018, it's probably going to cost me 2.5 million or more. Oof. So it wow. it becomes that the social equity programs need to have happen. It needs to be easier to be able to get a license. Micro licenses are something that people discuss um, which allow people to open up uh, you know, smaller uh, um, dispensaries, grow facilities or production facilities without the same amount of um, uh, entry fee to be able to get in. But even then, if you get the license and you don't have access to funding, then it doesn't make sense to have the license. So funding is a huge issue in Colorado, and Colorado is one of the most restrictive states that allows, we we barely allow for out-of-state investment. If you're an out-of-state investor, you have to jump through tremendous hoops and then can't have control of a company that you've invested in in Colorado. Our governor just vetoed Uh, less than six months ago, less than four months ago, the ability for us here in Colorado to take advantage of publicly traded companies in Canada investing in our businesses. I mean, it's ridiculous what it takes to actually own a business here in Colorado, and I believe in a lot of ways Colorado has made it almost completely uh, impossible for people of color to be able to enjoy the boom that has happened here in Colorado.
0: Now, I want to move on to uh, recently? You uh, were present on a panel that you saw in New Jersey discussing the state of the industry and possibilities coming down the pike related to investment, product innovation, and the necessary messaging needed to destigmatize cannabis. And one of the people on that panel was Stu Zykiewicz. He was the president of Public Relations for Bridge Strategic Communications. Now he brought up the point that to work toward an acceptance of cannabis people have to be careful of messaging which includes stepping away from a focus on money and he said this quote we don't want to say marijuana we want to say cannabis we don't want to say recreational we want to say adult use we don't just want to talk about the money. We The way we warm people's hearts is tell people the positive things the plant does. I tell my communicators, give the human interest story because that's how we get into the communities. And I can't agree with Stu more. So, my question to you is, what do you think about how the industry needs to approach the stigmatization? I know we've been talking about it, but how do we get new supporters and how do we confront the mainstream media to further help the segmentation of this industry, and for more people to be accepting of it?
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely dead on. You know, where what he just said. and I'm also a big proponent of people that can talk about their cannabis use without fear of losing their job, because that's another issue, right? I mean, if you happen to Enjoy a beer after five o'clock. You can go have beer with your friends as long as you don't show up drunk the next morning at nine o'clock, right? Right. Um, cannabis, and they're not going to test you for <laughs> your alcohol smoking for over a month, right? So, at any time in a drug test, um, you know if you've smoked a joint, it could it could be in your in your skin cells or in your fat cells for up to thirty days. Um, So it seems really unfair to me that you could go on a vacation to Jamaica this weekend, come back two weeks from now, your boss could test you to see if you've ever smoked any cannabis, and for the last 30 days, you know, you could technically lose your job. I think that that's changing in most places, but but technically that would be true, right? So I think that the best way to end the stigma is to talk about it. You know, my husband and I come home every night after work and we have a joint together. Some people may come home and pop a bottle of wine um, and drink a couple of glasses of wine together. We don't think that that's odd. So why would it be odd that, you know, me and my brother or me and my my husband or me and my best girlfriend sit down and, and, you know, share a couple of joints. So I think that this is how we start to end this stigma. And I believe that all of the conversations are helpful. Um, I believe it's important for people to meet the business owners, understand that you know a lot of women are doing well in this industry. So if you happen to be a female business owner, this might be an industry that you wanna support because your sisters are making great strides in it. So I think that all things that, about cannabis are good to talk about because this is one of the most interesting industries that we have seen come forth.
0: For many decades so I'm excited about the whole thing. So am I just like I said we have to get more people collectively to be able to spread that message properly and correctly so that everybody can respond to it in a better fashion so that was the heavier part of the questions there i i I might have put kind of on the spot in there Wanda. but we're going to definitely ease up now as we go ahead and wrap things up but we're going to do that on the other side of the break we're here again with cannabis activist and entrepreneur wanda james here on blunt business on cannabis radio we'll be right back rolling into some sponsors but we'll be right back with more
2: blunt business
0: That's P-O-U-C-H-Z dot com. Strainwise Consulting is the most sought-after consulting company for cannabis business applications and management contracts. We consulted on the first recreational license in the world
1: The Boober Way.
0: I hope you didn't forget about us, because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Bone Business. We're here with Final Questions with Wanda James. Now, Wanda, you and your husband Scott have interacted with many top NFL and NBA stars in all of your collective business ventures, from everything I've read. We've interviewed on here on Cannabis Radio a number of retired athletes from both leagues, uh, including John Sally, Al Harrington, to Marvin Washington, and Kyle Turley. Now, what kind of response have you gotten current from currently active players that you have gotten to work with that I didn't mention here that are looking to take any action and approach league management collectively or their union reps to make changes to you know, allowing marijuana? I mean, I see the NHL starting to loosen the regulations. Can that be done in the NBA and the NFL?
2: So I think what you have, and you know, we talked a few minutes ago about being open about cannabis as long as it doesn't affect your job. I mean these guys can get fined up to a million dollars lose you know time in games um and maybe not even get you know uh you know uh hired back in the following year because of excessive cannabis use which is ridiculous because you know i don't know one football player that's ever been you know uh, disqualified from Sunday's game because he was drunk on Tuesday night.
0: You know, it's kind so of ironic, too, I, just to make a mention about how it doesn't <laughs> matter which, you know, what, what, what level you are, rich or poor, it doesn't matter. There's some kind of a punishment just to go ahead and consume cannabis. I don't understand that.
2: Which is ridiculous, and especially when you talk about how important it is to be able, for these guys, to be able to end inflammation. I don't know if you know any current ball players, but... Seeing ball players the day after a game, I mean their hands are swollen, their face right. is swollen, they I, I mean, they just got beaten by 350, 11 350 three hundred and fifty pound guys coming at them at fifty five miles an hour. I mean, that's some stuff, right? And not just them in the so, NBA,
0: you're also talking about the NBA it's very physical these days. It's just not oh. not easy at all. I mean everybody gets pretty punished on the on the on the floor as well.
2: These are great big people coming at each other. You know, I mean, it definitely is a battle of gladiators. So if there is something that is natural and open that you could take that actually fixed inflammation on the cellular level, if you had the opportunity of doing that or by getting shot up by the team doctor on whatever it is that they're shooting you up with, what would you choose to want to do? So I think that that's the place where a lot of current ball players are, but they can't necessarily speak about that because of contracts and money on the line and, you know, championship games, right? right. But once they come out of the NBA or the NFL or baseball or hockey or MMA fighting or skate or snowboarding, the first thing that most of them do is come open to the fact that they have used cannabis, you know, to be able to help themselves heal from inflammation um, and the pain of being a professional gladiator. And it's sad that we have to not allow this to happen. However, I think given the current issues in the NFL with CTEs and traumatic brain injuries, given, you know, where where players are just at the point saying, you know what, get real. You know, get real. Um. Even coaches are coming out now saying, you know, get real. So yeah. I think that once again, the stigma is ending and people are now challenging the rules and regulations that we've had to live by based on 100 years of negative marketing
0: just have to keep chipping away I and mean, like you said there's just an overwhelming amount of evidence just to continue to that's going to just make people just get overwhelmed to the point that there has to be change There just has to be at some point eventually now Wanda it's been such a great conversation here with you and I really do appreciate you taking all my questions uh, head on and again like you said you very outspoken with us and, and obviously if, what you said in the press and how you've been with us has been wonderful and, and I really do appreciate you being a real pillar to the Industry and, and you know speaking on a lot of different issues with us. So real quick, please take a minute while we have a few minutes left with our show uh, on how listeners can learn about more about Simply Pure in Denver and the Cannabis Global Initiative.
2: Um, so you can learn about the Cannabis Global Initiative on. Um uh, CannabisGlobal.org You can follow me on Wanda L. James on Twitter on Instagram and the same with Simply Pure on both Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and with 420 CGI on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook
0: Fantastic, so again we've been here with cannabis activist and entrepreneur Wanda James. Wanda, again thank you for being here on Blunt Business and you know, please give our best to your husband Scott and best of luck to you and your uh, future ventures
2: Oh, thank you very much and uh, you know, get elevated every day.
0: Absolutely love that way to close that out. So, again, thank you all. Make sure to go ahead and learn everything right there with Wanda saying about uh, simply pure the Cannabis Global Initiative, and make sure to follow her on Twitter, Facebook, and all different social channels. And for all of you that are looking to get your foot in the door of the cannabis industry, as well as entrepreneurs looking to start their own marijuana business, check out the folks at Strainwise Consulting by going to www.strainwiseconsulting.com. Thank all of you listeners for joining us. You can download past episodes of Blunt Business by going to CannabisRadio.com or subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thank you for listening. expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. What's with Mountain Dew?